Last week we saw from this first verse in chapter 1 that we Christians are aliens on the earth. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, exiles, sojourners. Our first citizenship is not the United States of America. Our first citizenship is in heaven. Our first and primary constitution is not the Constitution of the United States with its Bill of Rights. Our Constitution is the Bible, which is over the Constitution of the United States and judges it. Our king is not first President Clinton or Governor Carlson or Mayor Fraser. Our king is Jesus Christ. And he stands over in judgment and qualification, all other human leaders. Our cravings are cravings not for the things of the world. Our cravings are cravings for the kingdom. Cravings for God and for the spirit and for power and for gifts and for joy and hope and peace in him. Something very radical has happened to make us aliens or exiles on this earth. Peter says in verse 3 here of chapter 1, God has caused you to be born again unto a living hope. So you don't have the same hopes that the world has anymore. You are made an alien here because something radically supernatural happened inside to give you new hopes and new cravings and new yearnings and new desires so that now as you walk through the world, its desires, its priorities, its values, its language feels alien. It just feels strange. As we were walking out of church last Sunday, one of the young men in the church, he came up and he said, I can't believe how right that has become, how right you are in my life recently. Me and a friend were at a thing the other night and... We both said, this doesn't feel right. That means God's doing something, you see. God's doing something inside to alienate this person and all of us from things that are not of God. You start to feel not at home anymore in the world. The way Paul described this radical thing that's happened inside is this. You have died and your life is hidden With Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear, the real you, will appear with him in glory. You see how radical and supernatural you are? Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You're an alien in this body on the earth here, and things don't fit. Jesus put it like this. Don't be anxious about what you should eat or about what you should drink, or about what you should wear, because all the nations who are at home here worry about those things. You aren't part of that. Your heavenly Father in the other kingdom knows what you need. He's got connections. He owns everything. He totally rules this world. You seek the kingdom the other citizenship first and its intrusion into this foreign world and he will use his connections to make sure you get what you need. And it probably won't be what you think you need. What matters is being alien 
here. And it is so important to live like aliens. In fact, it is utterly necessary. You remember those awful sentences? One awful sentence. In 2 Timothy. Remember Demas? Demas was mentioned two times. Once in Colossians, once in Philemon. And he was lined up beside Luke in the one and Mark in the other. He was a fellow worker with Paul. And the last word we hear about Demas in the last letter of 2 Timothy is Demas. In love with this world has left me and gone to Bangkok. It is an awful thing when a professing Christian alien caves in, forsakes the camaraderie of the alien community and gets absorbed into the world and he's gone. When professing Christian aliens do that, they have no warrant for thinking they will inherit the kingdom. John said a sentence in 1 John 2 that should shake you deeply if you think you can vanish into the world and still go to heaven. No matter how long you've been a part of the church or whether you've been a missionary or a pastor. Here's what he said. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would not have gone out from us, but they went out that it might be clear that they were not of us. That is so clear that the evidence of reality is perseverance. You don't persevere, you weren't real. It's just as clear as John could make it. And therefore, when I preach about wanting you not to lose your alien identity, I'm not talking about rewards in heaven. I'm talking about heaven and hell. If you give up your alien identity, throw away the church, throw away Christ, throw away godliness and vanish into the world system, you're doomed. No matter how many times you sat in the pew or what decisions you made down here or what prayer you prayed to God on any given date in any crusade, you're a goner. The only reality that there is lasts. There are seasons of backsliding. Don't misunderstand me. I still hope that Daryl's real. But the longer the time lasts, the less I can be sure. And so it is with all those who forsake the Lord and enter into the world and forsake their alien identity. John said, this world is passing away and its desires But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now, my goal this morning is to motivate you and stir you up to use biblical strategies to maintain your identity as an alien. Okay, is that clear what we're after? To stir you up and motivate you and make you feel earnest about the discipline of maintaining your alien identity in a world because your life hangs on it. In this text... Especially chapter four now, and I invite you to turn there with me, has four strategies. And this is a morning in which we are 
calling you to consider small group involvement for nine months at Bethlehem. And this text, it seems to me, holds out four strategies for maintaining your alien identity, all of which will be fulfilled better in some kind of small group. Let me read the verses once more. You look for the four. There's one in each verse. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Eight. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Nine. Be hospitable to one another. That is, open your homes without complaint that you have to clean up first. That's clearly what it means. I mean, there's no point in saying without complaint unless he knew that having people over is a pain. You got to clean up and, you know, fix a little something and make sure that everything's out of the way. I mean, my wife is in Georgia now and I, I would I would have to work a bit to invite you over to my house right now. <laughs> Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, there are four strategies there, and they're all designed in this letter to help you maintain your alien identity in a world that's warring against your soul with its desires and trying to press you into its mole and drag you to its damnation. And you don't coast to heaven. Believe me, nobody drifts into heaven. Drifting leads one direction only. There's only one direction of the tide of this world, down. If you rise, you swim. Now, here are some strokes to use as you swim. Number one, verse seven, be of sound judgment and sober spirit unto prayers. That is, unto staying in touch with the foreign king. You've got to stay in touch with the foreign king. If you're going to love him, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to take your cues from him, you've got to talk to him in this foreign land. You've got to connect. Now, this world is the kind of place and this spiritual realm is the kind of place that puts you out of your mind. That's the first word here. Be of sober judgment. It's the word used about the uh, Gadarene demoniac when he was in his right mind. That's the word used here. They found him in his right mind. That's this Greek word here. Sophroneo. Why would he say stay in your right mind to pray? If there weren't forces putting you out of your mind. There are forces all over this world putting you out of your mind. And the second word is sober. And they, the NAS put sober spirit. It's just sober. It's the same word used for sober when you're not drinking alcohol and spiritually sober. There are forces in this world. There are addictive forces in this world that want to take your soul and inebriate you. I talk to drunks every week, sometimes every day. I did yesterday. And I probably will before this day's over. It comes with the turf. I know something about drunks. You can't connect them with reality. You can't. You try, you shake them, they'll let you pray for them. You can't connect them with reality while the force is on them. Now, that's the way the world is. The world is such a power, it is always threatening to drunken you so that you get out of touch with reality. Or you'll think it's reality. 
The world thinks it's reality. Everything. There's so much to see, so much to do, so much pleasure and fun. Surely this is reality. And the more you are drawn into the pleasures of the world, the more impossible it is to talk spiritual things. I talk to some people about the things that are so precious to me for which I die, and I can tell they are going through them like a vapor. They don't even connect at all because they are drunk. They are totally drunk with the world and out of touch with reality. The first strategy in this text is do what you need to do not to go out of your mind and get drunk with the world. Ask yourself this morning, what are some things that I do or might do that make me love prayer more or less? That's this verse. Keep yourself sober for prayer. Keep yourself um, sober and in your mind for prayer. What things, when you do them, disincline your heart to pray? You know what they are. Don't do them. Fight for your mind. Fight for your soul. It is a battle. He wouldn't have told you to do something if there were nothing you could do. You must do something so that your mind is not taken over by the world. Now, I think that happens well in small groups. When a man is an alcoholic and won't admit it, and it's getting worse and worse, his family is being destroyed, his work is being destroyed, what does love do? It's called intervention. The family gets together, maybe includes the pastor, maybe includes the employer, you corner him in his living room, and you say, we know if you don't know. And we love you too much to let you go on. And then what's the next step? They don't send him into the wilderness by himself for a year. They stick him in a group. And my point is not that all the small groups at Bethlehem are AA groups. My point is that we need each other to confront each other when you see the first symptoms of addiction to the world. Who's going to help you this fall if you start making slow little steps into addiction to the world? It usually doesn't happen all at once. It usually just happens little by little. Skip a prayer time. Skip the Bible. Skip a worship service. Leave off devotions. Look a little bit here. Look a little bit there. Read a little bit of this. Go a little bit of that. And who's going to see you? Who's going to notice And when you get really drunk enough, you can look back and say, oh, they never cared. When you never even availed yourself of a small group to let them know anything was happening in your life. I can't know what's happening in your life. You've got to put yourself into relationships where somebody can spot those little baby steps into addiction to the world and drunkenness after which there is no connection with reality. So I urge you. Ask how you're going to obey verse 7. How are you going to keep your mind sound? How are you going to keep from sliding into drunkenness? Who's going to notice? Who are you vulnerable to? Number two, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Aliens are not perfect people. 
aliens open their mouths, this alien does anyway, and says things that he wish he didn't say. And they're the kinds of things that when you say them or do them, they have the potential not only of of ruining but destroying the camaraderie of the alien community without which we can't survive in the foreign country. Anything that explodes and destroys the alien camaraderie has got to be overcome. And one of the things that destroys it is its own sin, its mouthiness, its insensitivity. Something has got to cover that. If we can't find a way to cover my sins, your sins, and forgive them, we can't stay together. Love, he says, does it. And therefore, he pleads with the church to keep their love fervent. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know that we're all supposed to love our enemies and we're supposed to love all the saints. Let me ask you this. Why do you cry when a relative dies and you didn't cry when Reuben Jacobson died? Or 10,000 other people who died yesterday. The answer is you didn't spend any time with them. And you spent a lot of time with your father and your mother and your sister and your brother and that special uncle or grandmother. Time. Time. Some of you will cry when I die. Not because we had a lot of time, but because there, be, there was kind of woven together a regularity here over the years and there was a connectedness, even if it's not as close as we would like. Love is not automatic. It is, it is nurtured through togetherness and time. My small group is the staff. Every Tuesday... We're switching the times now, but I'll tell you what it's been like all through the summer. Uh, We meet at nine o'clock and we pray together for an hour. From ten to twelve, we sit in a little office together, nine of us, and we talk turkey business. From twelve to one thirty, we eat together with the wider staff and we pray together again. And from one thirty to four o'clock, I meet individually with the staff. I devote all day Tuesday to my small group. And if anybody said to me, that's a waste of a pastor's day, I'd say, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't know the pressures on this alien community. And you don't know the sweetness of having a worship minister for 10 years. Or a minister of missions for 13 years. You don't know the worth of that. If you were to say to me, oh, that's a waste of time. You don't know how easy it is for a root of bitterness to come into a staff. And so I count that day as one of the most important days, probably the most after this day in my ministry and in my life. For your sake, my sake, and their sake, and the world's sake. Who are you nurturing love with? Number three, verse nine. Practice hospitality to one another without complaining. 
We need to get together, folks. Something about a house. Something about a house when you open the door. A barrier is crossed. It's as though the door to your house is one of the doors to your heart. When you move close enough to somebody that they let you in their house for two or three hours, something happens in a relationship and in a group. It's remarkable to me that in a a book like First Peter that's so spiritual and so radical, it's dealing with suffering, it's dealing with the fiery ordeal that's ready to come upon them, would have in it a sentence as simple as, open your homes to each other and don't grumble about it. It's just so practical. It's so amazing that an apostle of the living God would, would say that to the church. It just shows us how aliens need Little oases in the world. You need an oasis. You need to gather each other together into your homes and let people see the dust if you must. What's your plan this fall for making your home? I marry couples right here in the old sanctuary and one of the prayers I love to pray when I'm when they're kneeling in front of me during the wedding ceremony is, and some of you couples may remember this very sentence, Lord, as they make a home now, let their home be a little pocket of shalom and let the people who come in there be refreshed and go out stronger from their life. I dream about that. And it doesn't have to be just married people. You single people make fine homes. And those homes, those apartments can become beautiful oases for single aliens and married aliens and divorced aliens and widowed aliens. Let's do it. Let's do it more. Let's let's after these services walk up to strange. I mean, plan simple lunches. We eat on paper plates on Sunday. My wife, you remember the story, served President Lundquist from Bethel College on paper plates after a Sunday morning service. We have no pretensions that Sunday should be a whoa 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 meal. It's soup, sandwiches, frozen pizza. But we ha- we are free to invite anybody we want after the service because you can always add more of that. That's where we have most of our visitors. Do it. Do it. It's so simple. People don't stay all day, usually. (laughs) It's a small price to pay to be known as a hospitable church in obedience to 1 Peter 4. Number 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The main work of the ministry at Bethlehem is not done by me. It is not done by Dean or Tom or the staff or the elders. The main work of the ministry is done by you when you become vehicles or channels or agents or stewards or brokers, choose your word, of the grace of God connecting it with people. The image here in verse 10, I love. I just love this image for what goes on in small groups. And I hold it out to all you small groups that are in place. I call for leaders of new small groups to make this your vision. Look at this. Each one of you, if you don't have a gift this morning, God's a liar. Each one of you, underline each, has a or more gifts. Now, what's a gift? You say, whoa, what does that mean? You know, I'm supposed to preach like John or 
sing like Dean or motivate like Tom and you need the Bible. I can't do any of that. This is totally misunderstanding this idea of gifts. Gifts is brokering grace. And if you if you don't like the word brokering, stewarding, being an agent, being a channel. Gift is this. Here I am, Lord. You made me this way. I don't understand myself fully. I don't even know who I am or what I'm good at. But I know you're a God of great grace. And I open myself wide to all the grace. And I invite you to flow in me with whatever grace is needed in this small group tonight. And I, under your wisdom and guidance, will just try to let it out. And you know what it's called when you let it out? Gift. And it'll come out in your unique way. God will grant you to be gifted in a small group for people. He does not assemble small groups for nothing. He assembles them to bestow grace upon them. You are agents of grace. That's what small groups are for. Now, there is some grace you can bestow outside small groups. I believe what I'm doing now is bestowing grace and exercising a gift. I believe that phone calls can be the same thing. But there are many dimensions of giftedness that we read about in the Bible that can only happen with regular togetherness. And so I call you to do what the staff did in the last two Tuesdays. Got together at nine o'clock and instead of our usual prayer time, I said, look, what I'd like to do this morning for the I think there were eight there. And then if we include uh, Jim Bloom and John Lingenfelter, the part time people, there's. Eleven of us, what we did, and we took two weeks to do it so they'd be there, is I said, what I want to do instead of just having our usual intercession for the church and the world is I want us each to put a chair in the middle, take turns sitting in it. The rest of us put our hands on you and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit and empower you for the fall's ministry. And you tell us what's the biggest burden right now in your life so we can lift it off of you. And it was powerful. Look, small groups can be so powerful. They can be so powerful. And so if you're on the brink this morning, tottering, wondering, should I make a nine-month commitment to a group of people, maybe even a group I wouldn't even know because I might sign up on this card that Dan's going to tell me about in a minute, do it. Take a risk. It is so, so important. Sobriety for prayer, fervency of love, opening your home cheerfully, letting the grace of God flow through you. This happens powerfully in small groups Daniel Runyon is the elder and overseer for small group ministries at Bethlehem. He's going to come now and try to tell you how God is putting things together and what some avenues are for you to move on this issue.